Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Robin Sharma once said, The fears we don't face become our limits. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format, and we are caller-friendly. So, Jonathan, what's on the table uh, this evening, this is a pretty interesting subject, I would say. Well, Rick, our question for today is, does fear torment your life? And our theme text is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Wow. Fear involves punishment. Great. (laughs) Fear is a life dominator. When fear wells up within us, we are often physically paralyzed, speechless, or at a loss for cogent thought. When fear strikes, we run, we hide, or we cower before it as our new and merciless master. When we see fear in others, we can easily be drawn into its overwhelming grip and become hapless and helpless in our ability to see clearly and find our way. Because fear is such a powerful, dominating emotion, it has always been a preferred tool of Satan. What better way to gain control of the masses of humanity than to instill fear? While fear can occasionally save us, fear is most often a pathway to dysfunction, a weapon of despair, and a tool of defeat. So, all of that said, what do we do to conquer fear? How can we learn to feel fear, but not be afraid? Wow, I want that answer, Rick. (laughs) Actually, so do I. (laughs) (laughs) And there's something very powerful about the idea of feeling fear, but not being afraid. How do you do that? What's got to happen in life so that I can get to a point where, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I acknowledge how I feel and it's not a good feeling. It's fearful, but then I can still do whatever it is that's important, that's necessary, that's good and that's righteous anyway. How do we get to that? So Rick, fear is appropriate, but it can get out of control. Right. And and one of the things we want to talk about uh, today is the idea that fear is appropriate sometimes, and sometimes it's just got to be dealt with, it's got to be put aside. So how do you figure out which is which, and how do you learn to deal with it and all of that? So, so Jonathan, for today's uh, podcast, we won't be taking live calls. We've got some technical issues on the, on the live call end. Um, so just letting uh, you folks know that uh, it's, it's a, a matter of having the discussion, putting it on the table, and seeing what we can uh, come up with. 
Uh, let's get started by going to a motivational video, and it's called, we got it from YouTube, it's called Find Your Courage. You know, and the intro, introduction here for this video on dealing with fear, it, it, it's exciting. And it's and it, and, it, and you know gets the juices flowing and gets the adrenaline going. It's like yeah, I want to do that. And so let's just use that as a as a kickoff point for our conversation tonight. You can either live your dreams or live your fears. And I think the majority of people actually are not living their dreams, but are living their fears. So I want to ask you a question. What are your fears? What are you afraid of? What are you scared of? Because we all have fears, don't we? We all have something that's blocking us, that's holding us back. And as we begin to look at life, what we realize is that the reason that most people are not living out their true potential and not doing all of the things that they would really like to do is because of fear. How true that is. Most You're people, right. Most people don't live their potential because something is in the way and they're afraid to deal with it. They're afraid to confront it. They're afraid to uh, push back on it. And because of that, we so often, Jonathan, live uh, at a minimal level rather than a full level in terms of our lives. And that's, that's sad. It is. And, and, you know, it's also a terrible waste of a great life. You're right. So this subject today is really, really valuable in terms of understanding fear and how it works. So look, there's lots of different kinds of things that we might be afraid of. And you know, you were talking, Jonathan, before you said fear is appropriate. Yeah, it is. And, but there's times where fear is overriding and difficult. So let, let's look at, first of all, some of the kinds of things we might be afraid of um, that are maybe not that, that uh, valuable to be afraid of. Failure, disappointment, vulnerability, tragedy, death, phobias, responsibility, the future, or past. So there's lots of things we can be afraid Everybody, look, most of us are afraid of failure. Now, now, there's a few people who aren't, and they go on and succeed wildly because they are, they're not stopped by failure. It's said that Thomas Edison failed 3,000 times before he invented the light bulb. So, but he did. And because failure was just a way to learn. And that was, that's really, if we can get that, that's a whole different subject. Uh, but if we can get that into our heads, man, you can really, really accomplish things. But a lot of times we're afraid to, of disappointment. We're afraid to be vulnerable. Tragedy scares us. Death, responsibility, phobias are fears. I mean, if you're afraid of spiders, you're afraid of spiders, you know? So these are things that, okay, they're there. Should they be there? What should we do? What can we do about them? What are some of the other kinds of things that we might be afraid of? How about success, opportunity, relationships, happiness, love, acceptance? Those don't sound like good things to be afraid of. No, they don't. <laughs> but again... Oftentimes, we are afraid of success. We are afraid of opportunity because with opportunity comes responsibility. Sometimes we're afraid of relationships because the heartbreak, that's, that's a potential of a relationship. Sometimes we're afraid of happiness because it requires us to change. 
and we're afraid to leave what we're comfortable with. Sometimes we're afraid of love because love can hurt and love has its requirements. Sometimes we're afraid of acceptance because again, now there's some kind of level of responsibility or the vulnerability that once you're accepted, then they're going to figure out who you really are. So these are things that we shouldn't necessarily be afraid of, but we just might be afraid of. And some of these, Rick, can have a paralyzing uh, fear that grips us. And that's a good word. It Fear often paralyzes us. And when you're in the grip of paralysis, there's not a lot you can do. Um, no. and, and a lot of times, you know, in, in just in a, a side note from that, made me think of a phrase that I've, we've used in business in, in the past. You know, when you're trying to work something out and think of the best path, um, mm-hmm. you get the paralysis of analysis. <laughs> uh, which means you're thinking it over so much that you never do anything about it. Well, I'm still trying to figure out the best way. No, you're just afraid. <laughs> so again, fear is a paralyzing thing. Uh, Jonathan, I want to read a few lines from a, a, a little writing, a little essay on fear by Oscar George. And he's describing fear as, uh, you know, he's speaking as though he is fear. So I'm just going to read a few lines. We're going to come back to this little essay uh, throughout several segments of today's podcast. I am fear. I am the menace that lurks in the path of life, never visible to the eye, but felt in the hearts of timid men. I am the father of despair, the brother of procrastination, the enemy of progress, the tool of tyranny. No figure more grotesque than my shapeless, unseen body, none more threatening, none more awesome. Born of ignorance and nursed upon misguided thought, I have darkened more hopes, stifled more ambitions, shattered more ideals, and prevented more accomplishments than history could ever record. Men born capable of heroic deeds of patriotism, I have transformed into cowards and traitors. That gives you a sense of the power of fear. That's huge. And if you think about it as a tool of Satan— and we're trying to develop Christ-likeness and growth as a Christian, that can really just debilitate us right. if, if we succumb to fear. This is an important subject that we need to talk about as Christians. And you're right. It is a tool of Satan. It's a primary tool of Satan because it's so darned effective in what it does. So we have to be really, really, really on our guard. Jonathan, let's let's go to another soundbite. This is from a movie, a 2005 movie called Coach Carter. And just a little bit of background. This coach, he's a basketball coach. He comes into this inner city school. The place is a, is a, is a mess. His team is a bunch of good athletes who are terrible, terrible, terrible students. And he puts upon them self-respect and integrity and says, you have to grow up to be good men. And to be a good man, you have to be a good student. So he presses them, not only on the court, but off the court. And he's teaching them about studying and and taking care of business and doing the things that are so important. And he has this continuing question that he asks his his students. And he's always asking them about their deepest fear. So we're just going to drop in. This is in a basketball game, a scene from the movie. And just listen to the, the, the interchange to get a sense of uh, how it will contribute to our discussion tonight on fear. Palms up. Move your feet, right? Come out. Come out. Come out. The screws. Good deep, boy. Hey, hey. What is your deepest fear, young man? 
going. Why do you keep saying that? What's your deepest fear? What that mean? Sir, they can cut the chain off the door, but they can't make us play. We've decided we're going to finish what you started, sir. See, so what happened in that uh, in that story is the um, um, the, the school administration didn't like what he did because he actually put a chain across the gymnasium door because his his guys weren't studying. And so they fired him. He's getting ready to leave, and he goes into the gymnasium, and all of his students are sitting there in the middle of the floor at desks, and they're studying. And they said, look, they can cut the chain off the door, but they can't make us play. We are not going to play until we do our work because that's what you taught us. And Wow, that's yeah, inspirational. It, it is. And you say, well, what does that have to do with fear? Well, remember, he's always asking them, what is your deepest fear? So, so let's put fear in perspective, Jonathan. Fear can obviously be harmful, but can also be helpful. What are the words used for fear uh, in, in the New Testament? Well, Rick, they mean to frighten, to be in awe of, that is, revere. So it has two different slants to it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It, it really is a... Um, there's, there's two different things. Same type of reaction. You know... It, to be in awe of something is to look at it as so much bigger and more powerful. You're, it's kind of scary. Uh, but the, the other part of this is to just understand that we have to see it for what it really truly is. And, and that's the awe part. Fear is just, I'm afraid, let me out of here. Okay? So here's, let, let's go through some, some perspectives on fear. God does not give us a spirit of fear. 1 Timothy 1, verses 6 through 8. For which cause I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fearfulness, but of power and love and discipline. Be not ashamed, therefore, of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But suffer hardship with the gospel according to the power of God. And Rick, this verse is not our power that we have, our might. This is talking really about the Holy Spirit, which is God's power and influence working through us. Exactly. Um, so God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. It, and it, the scripture is very, very plain and very, very simple on that point. Okay? So if he doesn't give us a spirit of fear, well, then does that mean we shouldn't have any fear in our lives according to God? And the answer, But we're human nature, Rick. <laughs> we get scared. <laughs> yeah. But see, here's the thing. God does expect us to fear him. Wow. So, and how do we know that? Well, the scriptures tell us that. Let's take a look. Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So, it says... Why would we be afraid? I mean, God is love. He's forgiving. Why would... Why does he want us to be afraid of him? Is well, that right? Well, you know, I think that there's two parts to that. First of all, there is awe and reverence, and that's appropriate. But yes. think about it in terms of this. Think about it in terms of you're going through your life, and you're doing your, the things that you do, and you're a kid, and you do something that's bad. Okay? You're in trouble. Now, <laughs> are you afraid to face your father or your mother? Oh, yeah. Do you know that they love you? 
Yes, but there will be consequences. So by the same token, in the same way, we should fear God because that's what he is talking about here, you know, fearing, okay. Makes fearing sense. him. Okay, so with that, um, we don't, we're not given the spirit of fear, but yet fear is appropriate. And you said that earlier, uh, earlier tonight. Fear is appropriate. So God expects us to fear him, and we are also expected to fear wrongdoing. Now, how do we know that? Well, 1 Timothy 5, 19-21 uh, tells us that. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Okay, so it says now, look, you've got to have proper action and activity within your, your, your um, class arrangement, if you will, your, your Bible class arrangement. And he said, if there are those who sin, make a, an example of them because you want to teach people to be afraid of sinning. You know, you've got to have fearfulness when it comes to dealing with sin. And that's a good fear. We should be afraid of doing bad things, doing wrong things. We should be afraid of that. So this is another example where fear is absolutely appropriate. Um, what, what else? And we're also expected to be fearful when dealing with the sins of other people. And Jude 1, 21 through 23. Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So again, that's a really powerful tool that says, even when you're dealing with those who, um, who've done wrong, you've got to be able to, to deal with them in such a way as to be afraid that getting involved could even draw you in. Yeah, that is scary. It is, it is. So, so Jonathan, we can see that um, fear plays an important role in our Christian lives in a lot of different ways. Some are good, some not so good. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Does Fear Torment Your Life? Coming up, fear is natural. What kinds of things might we all naturally fear? That's next. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Does Fear Torment Your Life? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. We are not taking calls because of tech technical difficulties, but the Join our conversation by messaging us on your app or going to ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, as we were talking about fears that are appropriate, um, we also got to realize that fear is a very, very natural thing. And I think that, that goes without saying. But the next soundbite we're going to is going to verify that. Uh, this is from D News Plus uh, from YouTube. 
and it was a segment on how fear is wired in our brains. We're going to go back to this, um, this D News several times because it's fascinating to see how fear actually works chemically inside of our brains. And this is kind of giving you a sense, a little bit of an introduction to the whole thing. So let's tackle this first. Why is fear valuable? What happens in our brains when we get scared? What is fear? It seems like a pretty obvious question, but fear is a chain reaction that starts at the outset of a stressful situation and it ends with the release of chemicals that can cause all sorts of things to happen in your body. Things like a racing heart, fast breathing, energized muscles that are just ready to act if need be. There's a lot going on in the brain actually when you experience fear and the fear response is basically 100% autonomic. It just happens. No one chooses to be scared at a certain point in time. It just happens to us even though it's us doing it. So fear is autonomic. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I never heard that word before. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, it's an interesting it's an interesting perspective to say, okay, lots of chemical reactions, but it just all happens by itself. You don't control the onset of fear. And have you ever had a situation, so maybe a recurring thing where you'd been afraid and you say, okay, I'm not going to be afraid anymore, but you're still afraid? Yes. And so it's just an automatic biological reaction in a lot of ways. That's right. There are some things that we should be afraid of. So we're going to spend this segment talking about several things that are, are actually, you know, fear is a, a good tool. The first thing is fear can be a natural reaction to angels. And this is kind of interesting because, you know, there's so many different perspectives on angels. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. Okay, they were terribly afraid. Now you think about it. The glory of the Lord, this angel, the bright light, you say, oh, that's beautiful. That's and, scary. Right. It's <laughs> terrifying because it's so out of the ordinary and it's so different and it's so magnificent that you look at it and say, what happened? What did we do? You know, and there's that, 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 that fear that strikes you. So what does the angel do at this point? But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the angel's first statement is, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And, you know, the reason for that statement is the angel knows I'm bigger, more powerful, and more glorious than anything they've ever seen. And people normally don't see angels appear. Right. So <laughs> so it's it's so much bigger than you are and it's so much out of the ordinary. Of course there's going to be fear in the angel and that's a that's a godly thing for the angel to come forth and immediately say don't be afraid. Because And there are many examples Rick of that. Yes. Mary, Zacharias, how many <laughs> tons of examples. Don't be afraid is the first thing out of their mouth. Because fear is natural. And it's a good fear. And if we're not afraid when an angel appears, we should really be wondering about ourselves. Okay? <laughs> That's because, you know, it might be a, a misplaced perspective on things. Fear can also be a natural reaction to miracles 
that defy logic. Let's go, to, and now this is a great example of that. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So you have these professional sailors sailing on the uh, Sea of Galilee. This incredible storm comes up, and Jonathan, they're afraid. And Jesus is sleeping. Right. Now, you got to think how big this storm must have been for them to be afraid for their very lives. Yes, because, it had to be big. Yeah, because they're used to this kind of thing. And so they come to Jesus and it's like, "Master, don't you aren't aren't you aren't you concerned we're going to die here?" That's the kind of fear. And when you have those who are professional managing and able to manage these things and and now they are uh, so scared, you know that it's something big. So they're concerned about Jesus, you know, doing something, saying something, at least showing a little concern like, hey, you guys okay? I mean, not even that. He's quietly sleeping. So what does he do? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So what he does is he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the sea. And he tells them, Be quiet, be still. And by the strength of those words, the sea becomes calm instantly. This, is, this doesn't happen. I mean, look, after a storm... Normally, the, the, the waves are there for hours and hours and hours. Oh, yeah, for sure. This is unnatural. And they look at him, and he says, why are you afraid? I mean, to translate that, he's saying, look, I am on the boat with you. You know who I am. You know what God has given me the gifts to be able to do. Do you still not have faith? So he's, he puts their, their fear to ease, and now their fear turns to great awe because they say, well, wait, wait, who is he that even the wind and the sea obey him? And that's a great question. <laughs> the son of God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no less than that. And, 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 you know, again, the fear was able to be transferred to great awe and reverence for the gift that Jesus was given to be able to do uh, that particular miracle. So for those who were around Jesus, the further reaction after fear was always a lingering awe, you know, and when you watch what happens when Jesus does things, and, you know, he does it quietly, that's kind of the sense that you get. People who are watching or walking with them are going to themselves, I, I don't believe what I just saw. That is just so amazing. That is so incredible. I, it's just, it's, it's, it's bigger than I could ever have ever thought possible. And you just, and you, you've had that experience, right? Where you just walk, you shaking your head in awe, saying, "That's incredible." Well, Jesus wasn't next to me, so <laughs> <laughs> not quite the but, same, huh? But things have happened. Yeah. 
All right, let, let's go back to how fear is wired in our brains, uh, D News Plus. And now he's going to introduce the several parts of the brain. There's actually five parts of the brain that get involved in our reaction to fear. There are dozens of areas in the brain involved in fear processing and fear response. But the five main parts of the brain that organize or process your fear response are these. The thalamus, which decides where to send incoming sensory data from your eyes, your ears, your mouth, and your skin, so on and so forth. The sensory cortex, which interprets the data sent from the thalamus. The hippocampus, which stores and retrieves conscious memories and basically means that it's trying to process the stimuli that you're getting. So a spider or a rabid dog or something would be processed by the hippocampus to establish context for that fear. And then the amygdala decodes the emotions you are experiencing and determines whether or not the stimuli is possibly a threat or something else. It's also in charge of storing your fear memories or your imprints of fear. And finally, the hypothalamus, which then triggers our fight or flight response, whether or not we're going to act and attack something or if we're going to get the heck out of there and run away. All right, Jonathan, so your quiz at the end of the t today's broadcast uh, will be to recite back those five parts of the brain. Well, actually, Rick, if you sign up for CQ Rewind, <laughs> you really don't have to re memorize it. Because you'll be able to see it exactly the way it is. Touche. <laughs> Though I, I can maybe, I can recite them, but I can't spell them. <laughs> the thalamus, the sensory cortex, the hippocampus, the amygdala, and the hypothalamus. These all play incredibly important roles in the processing of fear inside of our, our hearts and our minds. And again, it's natural and it's chemical. And so you got to learn to deal with it. Fear can be a natural reaction to those who would be powerful enemies. Now, at this point, you know, that's a good kind of fear to have. You know, powerful enemy, yeah, there should be some fear there. And, and before we go to a biblical example of this, let me just take a moment and read just another small paragraph from Oscar George's um, description of fear. And this is fear talking about itself as though he's a person. So fear is saying of himself, Because of me, the sword of victory has been snatched from the hands of warriors and turned upon them in disaster. Commercial enterprises have failed upon the very threshold of success, and thousands upon thousands of blessings to humanity have been born only to perish with their missions unfulfilled. That's what fear does. It snatches victory right out of the hands of warriors, and it turns it to disaster because fear can overtake us and fear can destroy us because of that. Here is a great scriptural story, folks, that I know you are all probably familiar with, but it's, it's important to review in this particular context. 1 Samuel 17, 1-11. Now the Philistines gathered their army for battle. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. So Goliath is a monstrous monstrous warrior. He's about nine feet tall, and he's got this incredibly heavy 
armor on him. He's probably as strong as five or six men, and and, and he is the uh, the the champion of the Philistines, and he is standing out in front of all of the armies of Israel by himself with his shield carrier. You wonder how big his shield carrier was. He had to be big to carry a shield for that <laughs> right, guy. Right. So he's standing there by himself in the valley between the two armies. And, I mean, the mere physical presence of such an incredibly massive human being would, would, would instill fear in anybody who's in a situation of having to, to fight. But the fear gets worse because now it comes down to not only fearing his physical presence, but now we, they, they fear his words and his challenge. What does he say? He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and your servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that will fight with me together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So he stands there and he mocks them and he mocks God. And he said, you know, look, choose a man from your, 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 your ranks, whoever, I don't care. Let's fight one against one, and whoever wins, winner take all. And he is standing there and, 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 and looking down upon Israel and looking down upon the God of Israel and saying, come on, I'm waiting. And he does this, I think, for like 40 days or something. Wow. And then this little pipsqueak David shows up on the scene. The shepherd boy? The shepherd boy, yes. <laughs> who's not even a soldier, who's probably just a teenager, who has enough faith to say, this cannot stand. We are God's chosen people. I will fight him. And of course, we know how, how that all works out. But the fear that Goliath instilled was justifiable. But there was an answer that was greater than the justifiable fear, and that came shown, was shown to us through the faith that David displayed. And we're going to talk more about that a little bit later uh, in the program. The other thing, though, Jonathan, about enemies is powerful enemies don't have to be physically powerful and terrifying. They can come in different shapes and sizes and have different objectives. And sometimes psychological warfare can bring us greater fear than that physical presence that we just talked about. Good example of this is John 19, 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. So Joseph of Arimathea was a follower of Jesus. Jesus is crucified, and he is concerned for the body of Jesus. And he's a follower of Jesus, but he does it secretly. Why? Because he's afraid of the Jews. He's afraid of their power. He's afraid of their politics. He's afraid of their, their, um, their position. He's afraid of their religiousness in their leadership, which was so corrupt. So that's another kind of enemy that we can come across that, is, that, that causes great fear in us. And, and Rick, the fear of the early Christians 
now that Jesus is crucified, what about us? Right. Will will they turn against us? Exactly. Also, so this great unknown was going to happen the next day. And that's natural. It's natural to be afraid in those circumstances. What we want to look at is, okay, great. It's natural to be afraid in those circumstances, but how do we cope with those circumstances so that what is a natural fear can be dealt with in a spiritual manner and we can, in spite of or even because of the fear, actually do the godly, righteous thing. That's what we want to grow into and develop as we look at this subject of fear and the role that it plays in all different parts of our lives. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Does Fear Torment Your Life? Coming up, how do we know when we should follow fear or act in spite of it? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Does Fear Torment Your Life? We're live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. We're not taking calls because of uh, technical difficulties. Uh, Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Monday evening. Join our conversation any day at any time at ChristianQuestions.com. And you're right. This this is a conversation that it continues long past the actual podcast, and we really do love to hear your thoughts and your reactions to uh, the subject matter that we talk about and your suggestions for other subjects as well. Today, though, it's about fear, and this is a common denominator for all of us. We all have fear. And, you know, the question you asked at the end of the last segment, how do you know when we should follow fear or act in spite of it? I mean, how do you know what's appropriate fear and what's not? Well, let's try to try to zero in on that. Uh, but first, let's go back to that motivational video, okay? Because we got to get ourselves pumped up to, <laughs> okay. to, to be able to, to deal with this kind of thing, okay? So again, this is Find Your Courage. It's a motivational video, and it's talking about attacking and, and dealing with and putting your fears um in their place. Some people call fear false evidence or expectations appearing real. Decide that you're going to box and bury your fears. Decide that you're going to begin to live life on a new level, seeking out new horizons, that you're going to find more love and more joy and more ways to give more to life. God said something. I love this. He says, everything a man does for himself, guess what? He takes with him. But everything he does for others, he leaves behind. So when you begin to say, what is it that I want to leave? What contribution that I want to begin to make? What difference do I want to make in life? What is it that I want to do with the rest of the life? that I have left? What what chances I need to take? What risks do I need to begin to embrace? What fears do I need to step on 
What areas of my life am I dead right now? What dream? You can either live your dreams or live your fears. They just get you all excited. Like, oh, he does. Okay, I'm gonna live my dreams. I'm gonna step on those fears. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just, or I'm just gonna bulldoze it down and make a difference. And then you come back to your senses and you come back to reality and say, I'm too scared to do it. That's not easy. No, it's not. So what we want to do with this podcast is put some actual physical tools in place so that we can do that and live the dream of a real, true Christian life. And to me, that's what this is really all about. It's the dream of a real, true Christian life. So, Jonathan, fear can be a natural reaction. You know, we talked about to, to enemies, to angels, to miracles. It can also be a natural reaction when a challenge seems overwhelming to us. And before we get into the next scriptural example, which is a really, really, really good example, um, let me just read another short paragraph from Fear by Oscar George. And again, he's speaking as though fear is a person and fear is the one doing the talking here. Like the changing chameleon, I assume a multiplicity of disguises. I masquerade as caution. I am sometimes known as conservatism, but whatever the appellation... I am still fear, the obstacle to achievement. And that's such an important point. Fear is the obstacle to achievement. So we're going to go to a scriptural example where the, the, there, there was a great achievement waiting to be uh, accomplished, but fear got in the way. This is when, after Israel is released from slavery in Egypt, and remember there were a whole bunch of plagues. Oh, yeah. So God worked these plagues out. Remember that God also parted the, the Red Sea so they could cross. That's right. And there were over 2 million Israelites. Yes. So, and, and now they've been brought to the promised land of Canaan that God promised to them. So they send spies into the land to take a look and see what it looks like and to sort of survey the situation because God says, this is going to be your land. So here's what happens when the spies return uh, from looking at the land of Canaan. We're in Numbers chapter 13, uh, right now 25 to 32. When they returned from spying out the land, at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. So all the spies come back, and they all say, it's awesome. The land is awesome. And you're thinking, wow, this is good. How does fear play into this? Sometimes fear masquerades as logic. And fear sometimes also has to start with the raw, hard facts and then build its case. Those were facts. The land was, was plenteous. The land was fertile. The land was everything that they thought it would be. So... You, you've got that the spies begin by verifying the a positive reports of, yes, the land is everything we thought. And then what do they say? Nevertheless. Okay, wait a minute now. <laughs> but that's what they're saying. The land is great, but, but what? The people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And Amalek is living in the land of Negev, 
and the Hittites and the Jezebites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. So the spies lower the boom and suggest that as good as the initial report is, as good and fertile as, and great as the land is, the challenge that is packaged with that wonderful fertile land is huge. It's immense. It's overwhelming to them, right? It, it is. It is. They're looking at all these different peoples, living in all these different places, and saying, now look, this is all factual at this point, as far as we know. There, okay. There's not exaggeration. There's no fake news here. They're reporting facts, and these facts are going to lead them to a conclusion. Now, remember, facts simply are facts. What, mm -hmm. what we do with them is a whole different story. Okay? So they're afraid. And they're saying, but the people that live in this land are strong, and there's lots of them, and they're all over the place. And this is causing a stir amongst those who are listening as they're reporting to Moses. So there were, there were 12 spies altogether. Ten of the spies had this perspective, this fearful perspective. Two of the spies had a different perspective, Joshua and Caleb. So Caleb is the one who speaks up at this point. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. So Caleb doesn't seem to be afraid at all. He's saying, Hey, we should go take possession of this land. Now, why would he say that? Well, uh, God just did all kinds of miracles to save his people and to bring them to the promised land. And it was the promised land yes it was so caleb is looking at the factual history of their deliverance and the fact of god's promise and he's saying we we can do this why so, wouldn't we do this so he brings up this one fact that's not seen on the surface and that fact is what you just described god had delivered them from egypt he had promised them this land he had led them there and therefore he needed them to act this was, in Caleb's mind, this was the next logical step in following after God. You mean a no-brainer? Yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> this was a no-brainer, but it was because of fear. It became a harsh, harsh challenge that was so big for them. So he calms the people down just by saying a few things. Uh, but then the other spies react to what he said, and here's what they say. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report, saying, The land through which we have gone, in spying it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. Okay, so it says, first of all, the people are too strong for us. Now, you wonder how it is they knew that, because they didn't say, it seems to us that the men are too strong. They, they, they stated it as a fact. Wow. And you're wondering, That's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And, and it's driven by fear. Because when you're afraid of something, whatever it is you're afraid of seems to get bigger, and you seem to get smaller. And, and they further say, the land, it's, this is a land that devours its inhabitants. How do they know that? And all of the people whom we saw are in it are men of great size. Now, now, what does that mean? You see, now, for me, Jonathan, 
pretty much everybody is a person of great size. Okay, so <laughs> you know, I'm, not, you know, you you wonder what it is they mean here. But you know, the the point is there is potential exaggeration happening, and when you have potential exaggeration, um, you something that is difficult now becomes impossible. Mm. Fear creates exaggeration. Exaggeration takes away all hope. And you're now, Rick, you, you know, when I get scared, I talk deeper. Oh, and that's supposed to help you be not afraid, is it? That helps me, yeah. Okay, I should try that maybe, huh? <laughs> okay, good luck with that, pal. <laughs> Let's go back. Let's go back to um, uh, D News Plus again, how our fear is wired in our brains. Because he's now going to describe two different pathways uh, in our brains. And the first pathway is the low road. And then we're going to listen to, a little bit later, the high road. Listen to what the low road is and what it produces. There are actually paths that the fear takes as well. We call them the low road and the high road. The low road is sort of like, you know, a scared kid, reacting without a lot of thinking. Whereas the high road is the responsible adult, you know, thinking things through before making a plan and acting then. Both the high and low road are working at the same time to process any kind of stimuli and determine whether or not it's scary and what to do about it. So let's break this down. Say you hear a loud crash downstairs in your kitchen or something as you're laying in bed. The low road process, it would assume that there is someone in the house and they're trying to get you and you need to get out of there. As soon as you hear the sound or you see motion, your brain sends that sensory data into the thalamus. The thalamus doesn't know whether or not the signals it's receiving are dangered yet. But since danger is a possibility, it sends that data right onto the amygdala, the fear center, and the amygdala receives the neural impulses that allow you to take action and protect yourself by telling the lizard brain hypothalamus to go, fight or flight, let's do this. All right, so there's kind of a, a shorter path when you take the low road, something that is potentially dangerous, uh, you look at and you just react to without thinking it through. Mm. And that's the easier way to react, and that's what most of us do when we're faced with something very fearful. So the low road, it's easy to grab hold of that which we fear and ignore the solution. And that's the issue. You see folks, if we ignore the solution, we then succumb to the power and the grip of fear and nothing good can come after that. Let me go back to the, 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 the little writing by Oscar George on fear. And again, he's, he's speaking as though he is fear. So this is the voice of fear speaking. Mine is the thundering voice that crashes into the ear of him who would attempt, and the deafening roar of the groundless, it can't be done, startles him into the terrified abandonment of a worthy purpose. The terrified abandonment of a worthy purpose. Think about that when you think about the low road. And now let's look at the reaction of, of what happens in this story of of. Coming, going, having the opportunity to take the land of Canaan. We're going to go to Numbers chapter 14 now, uh, verses, uh, right now, verses 1 through 4. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? 
So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Hey, Rick, uh, <laughs> who said Egypt wants them back? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's really quite a twisted way of thinking. But hey, this time if they go back, they're going to have to swim over the Red Sea. Well, that's true. because It's not going to part for yeah, them. Nobody's going to part the waters. <laughs> so, And you think about it, go back to Egypt. They were slaves there. So you can see the power of fear. It is so great that it makes slavery, makes where you were under such incredible bondage look more enticing. That's the power of great fear. You know, fear certainly does involve punishment as it is highly contagious and therefore it is highly destructive. Jonathan, we got a quote. Uh, this is a really great quote from the from uh, Christian Questions app, I believe, by F. B. Meyer, and it and it sort of dovetails into the story of losing the land of Canaan. It says, uh, "Unbelief never gets beyond the difficulties, the cities, the walls, the giants. It is always it is always preferring them, dwelling on them, pitting them against its own resources. Faith, on the other hand, though it never minimizes the difficulties, looks steadily." looks them steadily in the face, turns from them, and looks into the face of God and counts on him. This is what the people failed to do, and for this, they lost Canaan. That's exactly the point that we're making here. Let's go to the soundbite on the uh, mental capacity and the high road in dealing with fear. The high road is a little bit longer process. And that considers all of the different options, not just that worst-case scenario, that more instinctual response. The sensory data from the crash down in the kitchen is sent to the thalamus, just like on the low road. But instead of immediately sending that information to the amygdala and finding out if it's something to be afraid of, the thalamus is all like, look, sensory cortex, what's going on here? What's up? Let's get some meaning. The sensory cortex determines that there is more interpretation of that sensory data and then passes it along to the hippocampus and says, hey man, give me some context here. What's going on? The hippocampus is all like, okay, I've heard that noise before, I think. Maybe there was a pan or something that I left on the edge of the counter. Maybe that noise was dangerous before, maybe not. They compare that to other noises that you've heard and other stimuli. They might come into the hippocampus during this process, things like noises outside. Did I leave a window open earlier? Do I own a cat that might have knocked something down? The hippocampus takes all of this information into account and determines whether or not there is danger. And if it determines the wind you know, knocked something over, that sends that message to the amygdala. And the amygdala is all like, OK, hypothalamus, don't worry about it. Fight or flight, go back to sleep. <laughs> so really, it comes down to context, having things put in context that's one way to deal with fear, and that biologically can actually happen. And then high road. We always have to be looking to see the big picture. That's what the high road is. So let's go back to Numbers 14, verses 5 through 9. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel, Joshua and Caleb. And of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. All right. So there is the logic that's being presented here saying, look, this is bigger. And if the Lord's with us, we know that he will deliver us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. 
their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So it's a pretty logical, pretty sound, pretty clear-cut way to deal with fear. Rely on God. And that's actually going to be one of the first real big, strong tools for dealing with fear that we're going to go over in the second hour. And it's faith. And, and what does faith do and how does faith work in the face of fear? That's what we're going to begin to get into uh, in the next hour. So this is a great example, Jonathan, of failure to deal with and failure to face great fears as they come upon God's chosen people. And if it could happen to them, it could happen to us. How do we avoid becoming a victim of fear? How can we learn to overcome fear? All of that coming in the second hour. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we will be right back. But till then, does fear torment your life? I mean, really, if it does, what are you going to do? We'll be back in just a moment. Think about it. family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, christianquestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Jack Canfield once said, everything you want is on the other side of fear. Good evening, I'm Rick. Welcome back. This is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we've got one of those really important ones on the table tonight. What's our subject? Well, Rick, our question for today's podcast is, does fear torment your life? And our theme text is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So we're actually going to get into that particular scripture a little bit later in this hour, and this hour, Jonathan, is really dedicated to answering how do you cope with, how do you deal with, how do you overcome, and sometimes, yes, how do you even get rid of fear? We have scriptural answers, and they're there. We just have to uncover them. So, so Jonathan, by way of just looking back at, on the first hour, what were some of the, what were some of the things that we, we talked about in the first hour? Well, Rick, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but God expects us to fear him, and we're also expected to fear wrongdoing. All right, and we're also expected to be fearful when we're dealing with the sins of others. Oh, that's a good point, yes. Okay, now fear can be a natural reaction to many things. The question is, what do we do with fear once we have it? Because, you know, it's that special gift. I've got a special gift for you. It's called <laughs> fear. And you go, and we're going to have it. <laughs> yes, we are. And it's going to come back again and again and again. And, you know, with human, human beings, certain kinds of things trigger fear. 
certain kinds of experiences, even sometimes certain sounds, um, certain types of things that happen trigger that fear reaction because it's a biological reaction. How about public speaking? <laughs> you know, and that's a that's a great that that's a that's a Isn't great, that great example. number one. It is. It is. Now, is that is that something that you you've had challenges with? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> See, now that's something that has never bothered me. OK, so what everybody what so many people are afraid of number that just doesn't believe me. I've got plenty of other fears to make up for. It, okay, <laughs> but, but public speaking, I actually enjoy uh, that, that opportunity. But again, so many of us have fear that your mouth goes dry, your mind goes blank, your, knee, oh, that happens. <laughs> your knees go weak, your heart begins to palpitate, you don't know where you are, you don't know what you're doing, and it's natural. It's a natural reaction, so we got to learn to deal with these things. Okay, so the first way to learn to deal with them is go back for motivation, okay? Okay. So let's go back one more time to um, that YouTube video, Finding or Find Your Courage. Uh, we're going to wrap this, this his, his, his motivational talk up um, here. As you look toward the future, if you decided, I'm not going to allow my fears to stop me, what would your life be like? What would your future be like if you decided to, to want that which you desire so strongly that it prepares you past your fears? That you experience the fear, as the one book says, feel the fear and do it anyway. Take ownership for your life. Nobody can live your dream for you but you. Stop coming up with excuses. Don't give yourself permission to continue to live a small life. You can't fit a big dream into a small life. And he's so right about that. You can't fit a big dream into a small life. And, and for us, you know, let me translate that in, into, in, in terms of Christianity. You can't live successful, sacrificial Christianity into a life that does not face fear, that, that runs away every time something fearful comes and, and hides. You can't fit what Jesus wants us to do into that kind of reaction. So we need to figure out how to, how to uh, undo fear, how to take it out of its element, and how to be able to overcome it. So as we continue to look at fear, we'll spend this next hour learning how to not only tame it, but in some cases destroy it. Uh, so before we go to that, uh, I want to go back to one last time uh, Oscar George's little essay on fear. And again, this is fear describing himself. This is fear speaking. I know no master but one. His name is understanding. I dare not to behold his countenance. I quail before his gaze. When he speaks, I tremble in the weakness of my own terror. For after all, I am only a creation of man's imagination. Of myself, I have no power but that which the human mind thrusts upon me. And I vanish completely when the light of understanding reveals the facts as they really exist. For I am nothing. So the antidote for fear is understanding. That the master of fear is understanding. Let's pursue understanding. There is one scripture 
that outlines the three great tools for dealing with fear. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So that didn't talk about fear. No, but <laughs> faith, hope, and love are three ingredients that can combat fear. So it says, now faith and hope and love abide these three. These three things remain. These are three things that are constant in every Christian life, faith, hope, and love. So it's with these three core values of Christianity that fear can be managed and in some cases actually destroyed. So we're going to take each one uh, as we go through the segments of, the, of this hour. So let's start with the faith remedy for fear. There is a remedy for fear that is called faith. It's explained to us in John 16, 32 and 33. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So Jesus is warning his disciples that in a matter of hours, they're going to be scattered. They're going to be afraid. They're not going to be, know what to do. They're going to be panicking. And he's telling them, but you know what? Have peace. Have courage. I have overcome the world. So, Jonathan, if we were to look at this scripture and say, okay, how do we boil it down to a remedy for fear, what would it be? Well, Rick, it would be faith brings peace. Put your faith in something that has a track record. Jesus overcame. So one of the things we often do is when we are afraid, we look at our past experience with something or other. And we rely on our past experience to dictate our future. And most of the time, our past experience isn't very good. <laughs> good point. <laughs> right? So yes. we look at that and we look at our track record and say, oh boy, this is, I should be afraid because, man, I messed this up so many times before. What Jesus is telling his disciples is you're going to be afraid. You're going to be scared. You're going to be scattered. You're going to be panicking. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So he's saying, don't think about how you feel. Focus on what I have done. That can bring you peace. That can bring you that breath. Remember the difference between the low road and the high road is putting things in context? Yes. Jesus That's is... Go ahead. That reminded me of Peter walking on the water and yeah. taking his eyes off the Lord, and that fear instantly gripped him right. instead of focusing on the one that told him, come on, join me. So again, put your faith in something that has a track record. That's exactly what, what, you, what you're saying there. Jesus overcame. Faith can bring us peace. Let's pause here for a moment, Jonathan. I want to go to uh, another set of sound bites. These are by Hans Wilhelm. He's a philosopher. He is brilliant at explaining human emotions and reactions. And I love love to listen to him. He's got this 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 kind of thick German accent, and it's just very fascinating. I love people with accents because I don't know. There's just something cool about listening to that. So he's talking about fear in this particular soundbite, and he also talks a little bit about excitement, fear and excitement. Did you know that the emotion of fear or the body sensation of fear, fear which I mentioned earlier, here we have got the guy and there's the body sensation, is identical to the one we have when we are excited. It is only after we have filtered it 
through our mind. The body sensation will either become an oh no experience or oh yes experience. We either respond with positive or with negative. It's the same energy. A typical example is a ride on a roller coaster. So it's a great example. He's saying, you know, the, the body responds in the same way to both fear and excitement. And he's saying fear will either bring you to an oh no experience like, oh no, not again, or oh yes, this is exciting. So it gives you a sense, a, a look into the biology of, okay, how do you change that path? One way to change that path is through faith. Faith, as we just saw, brings peace. What else does faith bring us? Faith brings legitimate trust. And trust can help even justifiable fear to subside. Trust can help even fears that you look at and say, yeah, it's a legitimate fear. And there are lots of them that are legitimate. Doesn't mean that you can't get them to subside. Just because they're legitimate doesn't mean they rule. It just means they are. So legitimate faith brings legitimate trust. That's another tool for dealing with fear. And, and see, faith brings us things to use. Matthew one twenty is a good example of this. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So this is the example. Joseph, the, uh, he's betrothed to Mary. She says that she's pregnant. He's going to divorce her because that's what you would do. And you know, she says, well, look, I haven't been with anybody. And, you know, I mean, you got to put yourself in Joseph's shoes and say, how can this possibly be? So an angel comes to him and he's afraid. But what does the angel tell him? Fear not. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. It's not the wrong thing to do. And because he had trust that the angel was sent from God, he did what most men wouldn't have done in those days. He took a step that was difficult, that would, would bring ridicule, but he took it for a higher purpose. Faith brings trust. Trust deals with fear. It's a great—go ahead. This would also confirm what Mary told him about an right. angel appearing to her. Right. So he also had the experience, and so he could trust his because of hearing hers. Right. Exactly. So he had reason to trust. It was very strong reason. What else can faith bring us? Well, Rick, faith brings answers to the overwhelming and fear-ridden events of life. So faith not only brings peace, it not only brings legitimate trust, but it also brings answers. Again, let's go to another scripture. Uh, this is now, the, the, the previous scripture was before the birth of Jesus. This is now after the death of Jesus, when at his, at his resurrection, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 6. Now about the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So again, you have an angel appearing and there's power and there's light and there's brilliance and the guards are so afraid they're literally become paralyzed. They just, it is overwhelming their presence. In, in their case, he didn't say, fear not. No, he <laughs> wanted them to be afraid because they needed to learn a lesson. 
That's right. But what does the angel further do now? The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. So the angel becomes a friend of the women there, and he says, don't be afraid. Faith brings answers. To some, that experience caused them paralysis. To others, it brought them great hope. It's a great, great experience there. Let's go again to Hans Wilhelm, Fear Explained by Hans Wilhelm. Uh, And remember, we're talking about fear and excitement. So this is sort of the next stage of fear and excitement. Dr. Fritz Perl says, fear is the excitement without breath. And when you remember to breathe with it, it turns into excitement within seconds. Remember the breathing we did earlier and the focusing exercise? We breathe into it and it becomes excitement. And now we can change our attitude toward fear. We can begin calling our fears adventures. Yes. And then they will, we will enjoy this exciting, stirring sensation. So that's a great thought. Learn how to turn your fears into adventure. How do you do that? Well, faith is part of the the way to do that because faith brings us peace, it brings us trust, it brings us answers, and we can now begin to look at fear in a different way because faith is preparing us, giving us the tools to, to spar with fear, if you will. One more thing that faith brings us. Faith brings courage to act in the very face of fear. And that's such an important thing. Courage to act in the face of fear, and then perhaps you can find the excitement. Ananias, remember Ananias, the follower of Jesus, who uh, went to see the Apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus, and he had been blinded. Yes. He was walking into what looked like a trap. <laughs> For sure. And he was, You could see there could be fear there. Yes, no problem. <laughs> and it's legitimate fear. So let's drop in on this, because Ananias is told by an angel of the Lord, go to see Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias is saying, Saul of who, which? Are you sure you have the right Saul? Uh, Let's go to Acts chapter 9, verses 13 to 18. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So he's just reiterating back to the angel, look, are you sure you've got the right Saul? Here's what the response is. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Yeah, and actually this is, this is the voice of Jesus, not an angel. Sorry about that. But the yeah. idea is Ananias is given courage because he's given the facts. So what does he do? So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. Okay, so now there fall from his eyes the scales, and Saul can now see, Ananias has already seen, and now they connect Ananias had courage and was able to act in the face of fear. See, in all of these cases, faith brings us to a bridge over the rushing waters of fear 
So the will of God can be done by those chosen to face their fears and act. And that's what it's all about, Jonathan. We all have these individual fears. We can learn to face them through faith, through what faith brings us, and we can learn to act on those things that faith brings us so that our lives can change and we can actually do the will of God that is before us in spite of fear. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Does Fear Torment Your Life? Coming up, fear is present and hope is future. How can hope possibly help us to overcome fear? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, Does Fear Torment Your Life? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. We're not taking phone calls tonight. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, so we talked about faith bringing us tools to fight fear. It's like this, this, this fighting this enemy that's right in front of you. Hope deals with fear in a very different way. And what you said at the end of the last segment is, look, hope is for the future. How can that possibly help us with an enemy that's standing right in front of our face? And that's a good question, and there's an even better answer. So um, <laughs> before we get to the answer, let's go back to Hans Wilhelm explaining fear and um, just talking about something that, that we, we want to accomplish, and that is using fear as a tool for growing. Life begins at the end of our comfort zones. Life is constant change, and resisting these changes gives us fear. It's the best thing to overcome fear is doing what we fear. And it is much easier when we do it with a sense of adventure. Somebody once said that the letters fear, F-E-A-R, stand for feeling excited and ready. So instead of fighting fear, we can actually use it for our growth and benefit. Feeling excited and ready. Wouldn't that be a great way to be able to manage your fear next time it comes around, you know, like in five minutes? <laughs> <laughs> it would. And, it's and, an adventure, Rick. <laughs> well, it can be if we use the right tools. Faith is an incredibly important tool to fight the enemy that's in front of you. Faith brings us ways to do that. Hope is, is a remedy for fear. See, because faith brings us peace, trust, answers, and courage to fuel our fight against fear. Hope supplies us in a different way. Hope actually gives us the opportunity to replace the fear in our lives with several things that are lasting, righteous, and godly. So think about it. Faith brings you tools to fight fear. Hope brings you ways to replace fear. So let's take a look at that in a practical sense. Romans 8, 14 to 25. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. See, there's a dramatic, dramatic contrast here. 
from being a slave to fear to be an adopted son of the Most High God. Now, now think about it. Fear does enslave us, right? Oh, for sure. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you've had a level of fear about something that just it just dominated the way you reacted. And I've had those kinds of experiences. And there's one particular experience that I had that I knew was wrong, and, and it took me a long time to change from reacting to the fear to responding to it. And you know, it, it's, a, it's a growth process. We are enslaved to fear. Rather, hope says, look, you're adopted by the Most High God. And if you're adopted by the Most High God, what do you have to be afraid of? He's the best father ever, the most protective father ever. He is looking out for your needs always. So let, let's go through a little bit more on this Roman scripture and identify how hope replaces fear. The Spirit itself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. All right. So hope is here implied, though not mentioned, because it's talking about being heirs of God. And if you're an heir, you stand to inherit something down the road. So there's always hope with some kind of good inheritance. So hope is here implied. Hope's remedy for fear can be summed up as a replacement value. Fear lives with, slave, with slavery, but it should not live with adoption, especially adoption by the Most High God. So hope, hope's value here is as a replacement value. So how does hope help us to deal with fear from this particular set of scriptures? Hope replaces fear slavery with inclusion. So instead of being a slave to fear, we have the hope of inclusion in the family of God. What a privilege. What a contrast. Do you want to be a slave to fear, or do you want to have the hope of inclusion in the family of God? Slave to fear, hope of inclusion in the family of God. Take your time. Tell me which hope one you want. Hope of inclusion. I want that one. <laughs> and, okay, and we want it, but do we actually have the hope? Do we actually believe it? You know, hope replaces fear's slavery with inclusion if you let it. You've got to let hope take root because fear takes root. And the only way to unroot it is to root something else. So that's the first point on hope's dealing with fear. It replaces, remember, faith brings us tools. Hope replaces fear with something bigger, with inclusion in this, at this point. Let's continue with Romans 8. Uh, now we'll go to verses 18 to 21. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. All right, so this is an interesting set of scriptures, and, and, and it's talking about two different groups. It's talking about those who are called out to follow Jesus, 
but it's also and the rest and the rest of humanity. Right. It's talking about both, right? Okay. And and here's the thing. It says, I consider the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy for the glory that's for us. And then it talks about the anxious longing of the creation. That's everybody waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. You see, the world is looking for something to believe in, something to have hope in. They are. And everything the world tries fails. Politically. <laughs> politically. Socially. Yes. Religiously. Yes. All comes apart and all fails. All of humanity is afraid as they're aboard this sinking ship of sin and death and they don't know how to get off. And that's a scary thing. It is. Now, the hope of Jesus provided an alternate vessel uh, from, from the, uh, for the world to find freedom. He provided a lifeboat, and there's plenty of them. You just got to get in, and the world doesn't know. The world doesn't understand that Jesus is the lifeboat. So fear takes them and keeps them. But those of us who have been blessed with the opportunity to, to be given an understanding of God's glorious plan for all mankind through the scriptures, we have this hope that says, wait a minute, the world is going to be set free from sin and death, just like we're being set free from sin and death. I mean, this is glorious. This is incredible. This is the best hope that anybody could ever, ever, ever have. That's good news. It is such good news that it's almost hard to believe for so many people. So, again, hope is a replacement value for fear. So in this particular part of the Scripture, what does hope do to replace fear? Oh, I love this, Rick. Hope replaces fear's corruption with freedom. That's what everyone's looking for, yeah. freedom. Everybody's looking for freedom, but they're fighting for freedom in all of the wrong ways. They're right. fighting for the wrong kinds of freedom. They're fighting for license, which is freedom without responsibility, which isn't true freedom. It always catches up with you. It always burns you in the end, and it does damage to those around you. The freedom that we're talking about is a freedom under God to live in a world that, that God sanctions and blesses. Not this world, but the next age because of Jesus' ransom price. Hope replaces fear's corruption with freedom for us and for the rest of the world. We can know it and we can act on it. And we are really, truly should be obligated to tell them about it. You're <laughs> you know? right. Absolutely. As best as we can, whenever we can. So hope replaces fear's corruption with freedom if you let it. You've got to let hope truly take root in your heart. And what you find is the more you focus on the hope taking root in your heart, the less you become afraid because hope will replace fear. Faith brings us tools to fight against fear. Hope brings us the ability to replace fear by giving us something to look forward to that is much bigger, much stronger, much better, much more powerful than our fear. So now let's go and finish the set of scriptures in Romans 8 uh, verses, uh, we're now to verses uh, 22 to 25. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Okay, so again, it's talking about two different groups. The whole world, or the whole creation, groans and suffers, just like we do. We, though 
because we're given the privilege of knowing the scriptures, are, are looking forward to our um, adoption as sons. And remember, that was one of the first points in this Roman set of scriptures about hope replacing fear of slavery with inclusion. To be adopted by God into his family, Jonathan, is staggeringly hopeful and beautiful. And Rick, we're being described as first fruits of the Spirit. Yes. But the groaning creation will be the after fruits. And in all cases, there is fruit. Yes. And in all cases, that fruit is good and it is God blessed. So let's finish up these verses, verses 24 and 25. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For we who hopes for what he already sees, but we, let me try that again. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. See, there's an anticipation with hope. Now see, here's the interesting thing. There's also an anticipation with fear. Fear is anticipating a negative consequence, a negative action, a negative, a negative feeling, a negative response. Hope has anticipation as well. And remember what, what, uh, what Hans Wilhelm was saying was that, you know, you want to replace fear with excitement. That's what hope does. You take the anticipation and you focus it on what you're hoping for, not what you're fearful of. And if that hope is really true, it can override and overpower what you're afraid of. It's a magnificent tool if we can learn to use it. So our present-day experiences are filled with the harshness of pain and death. And these experiences bring recurring fear to our lives. Recurring fear. The hope delivered by Jesus' sacrifice changed that, though the world doesn't know it. In the prayer that uh, Jesus offered, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, what a hope. That, That perfect kingdom that perfect place uh, of freedom that everyone is looking for. You know, and it is such a powerful thing if we can grab hold of hope and let it take root and let our excitement for that hope be so real that it supplants the fear and the anticipation that fear brings. Let it turn to the excitement and anticipation of what hope offers us. So wrapping up this part of the scripture, Jonathan, what does hope do? Hope replaces fear's suffering with new life. If you let it. And the new life is not something that we're so good and so powerful and so strong that we earn. The new life is the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. And we are beneficiaries of such grace, of such sacrifice, of such beauty, of such love, of such planning. We're beneficiaries. That gives us hope because God had it planned from the beginning. I mean, talk about a great hope when you realize that God had this all planned from the beginning, that nothing will shake him from his plans. I mean, there's great confidence in that hope because he's got it under control. That reminds me of the scripture, uh, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Yes. That plan was in place. It was. And because it was in place, our hope is even stronger because it's just a matter of time, and God's plans prevail. Let's go one last time to Hans Wilhelm uh, explaining fear, and he's now going to bring love into the, into the um, equation. And remember, the scripture that we're dealing with is faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. These three elements, these three core values of Christianity, actually help us to overcome fear. So let's go to this, uh, this 
next soundbite by Hans Wilhelm. And the next step is to shower that fear with all the love that we are capable of. For another few minutes, we give it all the love that we have. In our mind, we drench it with love. We soak it. Also very important, we love ourselves for having that emotion of fear. Remember, love is an expanding emotion. And it can cancel out the contracting emotion of fear. And that's, that's a beautiful thought. Love is an expanding emotion, and it cancels out the contracting emotion of fear. But here's the thing. Better than loving the fact that we have the emotion, if we dwell in the love of God as we have the emotion of fear, that's even more powerful, that's more lasting, that's more transformational, because it's godly love, godly benevolence that we are relying upon, and God does not let us down. So, Jonathan, one last scripture in this this segment. Hope can only replace fear if we're willing to do three things. You've got to look at fear, You've got to grab hold, or, or look, look at hope, I'm sorry. You've got to be able to look, look for hope, grab hold of hope, and then apply it. Look for it, grab hold of it, and apply it. All of these elements are mentioned in Ephesians 1, verses 18 through 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the uncertainty? the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Okay, so in that scripture, it mentioned all three of those things. First of all, you've got to look for hope. And it says that in, in verse 18, where it says, the riches of his glory of the inheritance in his saints. You've got to look for it. There, is riches in, there are riches, not, not earthly riches, not money. It's not about money. It's about spiritual blessing. That's what this is. The riches of the glory of his inheritance. That's the hope that we look for. you got to grab hold of it. In the scripture, in verse 19, it says, the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. There's a greatness of his power towards us. So if you've got this great power that's able to be used in your life, don't you want to make use of it? Absolutely. And don't you want to make use of it, especially at a time when you might be more afraid than at another time? You know it then what are you waiting for? <laughs> Grab hold of it. And then it says that the, the last few verses, of, words of the verse say, the working of the strength of his might. The working of the strength of his might. That means we apply the greatness of this hope. You've got to look for hope, grab hold of hope, and then apply it. And remember, hope is a replacement value. Hope replaces fear with excitement because hope begins to draw us forward to something bigger, something better, and something stronger than we have ever been able to see when we are sitting in that place called fear. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Does Fear Torment Your Life? Coming up, faith brings us weapons to combat fear and hope replaces fear. So what does love do? That's next. That's a good question. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. 
Welcome back. Today's episode is Does Fear Torment Your Life? We're live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. We're not taking calls uh, tonight, but the conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.com. Contact us there with your questions or comments. Also, interact with us on our Facebook. Tweet us at CQNet Radio, and we're now on Instagram. See, don't be afraid to contact us. There's no room for fear here. There's only hope. There's only faith. And now there's only love. And we do love to hear from you folks. So please do uh, let us know what you think. So, Jonathan, we're to the final segment. We've got to get to the love's remedy for fear. But let's go back to... Um, how fear is wired in our brains one last time from D News Plus because what fear does is it short circuits our ability to put things into context and that is such a dangerous place to be and such a powerful weapon this of fear. all happens instantly as you might have been able to guess and again the paths are being done simultaneously but sometimes in a time of crisis our brains don't follow their own rules. They don't think through this whole path. When it's under severe threat, the brain can completely change the way it processes information and skip over some of these steps. According to Eric Hollander, professor of psychiatry at Montefiore Albert Einstein School of Medicine in New York, the normal long pathways through the orbitofrontal cortex where people evaluate situations in a logical and conscious fashion and consider the risks and benefits of different behaviors can get short-circuited which is why we have a few seconds of terror and just that visceral response before we're able to kind of calm down and assess what's going on. That's what happens with fear in the brain. It's a pretty complicated process, and it happens really fast. So, you know, again, how do you battle something that is complicated, natural, and really fast? And the, Lots of practice, Rick. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a great way to put it by by putting into by applying the things that we know to be true. And a lot of times, Jonathan, when we begin to apply these things, maybe we don't have as much faith as we should have. Maybe we don't have as much hope as we should have. Maybe we don't have as much love as we should have. But if we try to apply them, you're at least starting the brain pathways to get used to the idea that I am not going to let fear run over me now. Not by God's grace. No, not here, not now, not today. And I think that's part of, of, of dealing with all of this. So let, let's wrap up the destruction of fear's influence in our lives uh, with a scripture from 1 Peter three thirteen to 15, and then we will go to love's role in helping us to overcome fear. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? All right, pause right there. I mean, think about that. Let's translate that. What are you afraid of? If you are zealous for what's good, nothing's going to hurt you. Now, wait, you can get hurt. You can get killed, but not eternally because God has got you in the palm of his hand. So, again, there's that faith and that hope right there in this scripture. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. So don't fear their intimidation. Whose intimidation? Those who would stand against you. Don't, don't be troubled. Don't fear. Don't worry. Even if you're suffering. Pain and suffering bring blessing. You have to see through your fear to see the blessing. And Jonathan, that is a challenge. But I promise you, if you look to see through the fear and you have faith and hope working with you and love, you can begin to see something on the other side that says, wow, this, this can be worth it. 
This can be worth, I just need to keep moving forward. Verse uh, 15 of 1 Peter 3. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So with Jesus set up as your go-to inspiration in your heart, you are well equipped to defeat fear. Because it says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And the word sanctify. Being set apart for holy service. So if you set Jesus apart in your heart, you're removing him from all the tangled webs of fear and anxiety and saying, there's a special place in my heart for Jesus. And because of that, you've planted hope. And when you plant hope, you can now begin to replace fear with the excitement that you've got something else to rely on rather than that silly little emotion that just tears us to pieces. So Jesus is our go-to inspiration in our hearts. So let's get to the love remedy for fear. Simply stated, Jonathan, what, what, what is the basis of, of love's remedy for fear? Well, Rick, it, love evicts fear. Okay. It's out of here. It's out of here. It evicts it. When you evict something, you literally throw it out. Yes. You don't ask it to leave. You tell it to leave. That's what eviction is. If there is an eviction notice, you are telling whomever is occupying that space, you no longer belong here, leave. There's no negotiation. There's no wondering. There's no second thought. You don't belong here, leave. That is what love can do to fear if it's the right kind of love. So let's figure out what kind of love is this? Because, I mean, I would like to be able to evict fear on a regular daily basis. Me too. All right. First John 4, uh, let's go with verses 7 through 10 to start with. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is begotten of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifest in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, Jonathan, with that, it tells us very, very plainly and very unequivocally, God is love. And this is not some emotional kind of love. This is that powerful benevolent, giving without worrying about receiving kind of love. So what we need to understand is when we say love evicts fear, uh, what, we're, what we're saying is, you know, and you know, in verse, in verse 18 of uh, 1 John 4, which is our theme scripture, it says, perfect love casts out fear, evicts it. Yes, it, it does. What perfect love? God's love. So, so what's, what's the point here specifically with God's love and fear? Well, God's love evicts fear, for where his love dwells, there is no longer any space for fear to live. If you evict fear with God's love, what you're saying is you no longer belong here to fear because there is a new tenant, and the new tenant must be the love of God dwelling richly in your hearts. Now, again, this is easier said than done, because here's the challenge. Most of us know God's love. We appreciate God's love. We love God's love. We want God's love. We talk about God's love. We act upon God's love. 
but do we let God's love truly overtake our hearts so fear can be evicted? That's the question. That's hard to do. And, but boy, if we can get to that point, what a powerful tool to put fear in its place. So God's love evicts fear because where his love dwells, there's no longer any space for fear to live. Let's continue with First John chapter 4. Uh, let's go to 11, 12, and then jump to 15. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Okay, so the reasoning is really powerful here. It talks about God's love first, and God is love, and you know, you've got to rely on God's love. And then it says, if God so loved us, then shouldn't we be copying that by loving one another? And then the, the, the John says something very, very powerful. He says, look, none of us has seen God. So you can't very well, in a, in a very physical sense, show your love to God because you've never seen him. But you have seen the brotherhood. Do you love them with that same kind of powerful, benevolent, caring, selfless love that God loves you with? Because you can't show it to God directly in a physical sense, but I can sure show it to my brother who I'm looking at on the screen right now. <laughs> you know, and, and that is the power of, of the transformation of receiving God's love in our hearts and then passing it on to others. So this is giving us a sense of his love has got to abide in us so fully that now it starts to come out from us toward those around us. So how does this fit into the eviction of fear? Our mutual Christian love gives us the power to evict fear because it's based on God's own love. So, Jonathan, what this scripture is saying is it's not enough just to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's not. It's good. That's a great start, and it's necessary. But built upon that, if you want to truly evict fear— we have to love the brotherhood with the same passion and the same zeal and the same focus and, and the same discipline because that's the real, those are the real people in front of us and that's our expression of having God's love planted in us. And if God's love is planted that firmly in us, there is no place for fear to live. It is overwhelmed by the power of God's love. So now let's get to uh, our theme scripture, 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So in comparing love and fear, it says, look, there is no fear in love, but perfect love evicts fear. You see, perfect love, Jonathan, means that there's nothing you need to be afraid of. And if, folks, if we can just get our heads around that, faith gives us the tools to fight against fear. Hope gives us the ability to replace fear with excitement, something to look forward to. Love, God's love, our expression of God's love one to another, gives us the ability to chase fear out, to evict it, because now there's no longer any room for it. So you use faith, hope, and love as tools 
to combat, replace, and toss fear away. It's incredible. And Jesus was quite an example of that himself. And and actually, yeah, let, let's wrap up this scripture just with, with that with that thought. Go ahead. Jesus embodied the perfect love that removes all fear's punishments that came to us through sin. So he embodied the perfect love of God. He was, if you look up God's love in the dictionary, there's a picture of Jesus. Because he sent his only begotten son, and his only begotten son in the same spirit came and gave himself up to death so that the whole world could have life. God loved us. Jesus loved us. We should be able to understand that perfect love does cast out fear because fear is just full of punishment in your life. I mean, if you want to live a life where you're always being punished because of your, your emotions, then stay where you are. No, that's no good. <laughs> that's <laughs> no, no fun. <laughs> of course not. There's, there's no value. There's no growth. There's no joy. There's no anticipation. There's no goodness. There's no victory in that. Instead, we should look at what, how to apply faith, hope, and love to deal with, replace, and evict fear. And let's, uh, let's finish up with these scriptures in 1 John 4 with verses 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love God his brother also. So not only does this set of scriptures give us the God is love, it should dwell in us, it should come out from us and go to those around us, but it gives us the testing ground for that. And it says, if you say, I love God, but hate your brother, you're a liar. And that's powerful language. It is. So if we truly do love God and have his love dwelling within us, we have to be loving toward our brethren. I mean, just it's just such a powerful thing. So how do we wrap up this love-evicting fear uh, set of scriptures? We must thoroughly dwell in God's love for all, lest we allow fear to again find us. Fear is always looking for us. It's, you know, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Why does it say like a roaring lion? Because the roar paralyzes. It brings utter fear. Fear is always looking for us. No matter how far along we are the Christian way, it's always trying to find us. So we've got to focus ourselves on what can we become if we, by living in Christ? How far can we go in this imperfect body, in this imperfect world, to glorify God with our experiences? I want to go back to, we, we early in the program we had a soundbite from Coach Carter, the movie from 2005, and he kept asking his students, what is your deepest fear? And finally, when his students say, we're going to finish what you started, we're going to study, we're not going to play ball until we do what we're supposed to, one of his students stands up, and he, he quotes a famous author, and then he explains the quote in the context of their lives. And it's something very profound in terms of one of the deepest fears we can have as human beings. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. 
Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same as we are liberated from our own fear. Our presence automatically liberates others. Sir, I just want to say thank you. You saved my life. Thank you, sirs. All of you. So that's a powerful, powerful statement. Our deepest fear is not in, in what we can't be, but what we can be. And I think for us as Christians, the same thing applies. We can sometimes be afraid of the power of God working in us and through us, that we sort of shrink back because there's responsibility and there's vulnerability in all of that. But if we allow that to grow and develop in us, oh, the blessing that we can pass on to others is unimaginable. Think of the peace that we're missing by allowing fear to overwhelm us. Yeah, it really is an amazing thing. So a final scripture, Jonathan, that pulls all of the remedies for fear together. Uh, Jude chapter 1, verses 20 to 25. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So you've got most holy faith, keep yourselves in the love of God, and waiting anxiously in hope. Faith, hope, and love, right there. And let's finish it up. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Faith, hope, and love. They are the Christian tools that are put out for us to be able to work on and to dismantle and then to destroy fear. Again, faith brings us the tools to fight against fear. Hope replaces fear with excitement, with something to look forward to. And love then evicts it, kicks it out. It's not just any kind of love. It's the love of God dwelling in our hearts and then us living that love and showing it to others. Folks, we can overcome fear by the grace of God. If you try it on your own, good luck to you. But the grace of God is the way to overcome fear. Don't leave home without it. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, don't let fear torment your life. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from you, our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Make sure you download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store. And we look forward to another subject next week. <laughs>